listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. This is episode 158, and our guest is Sean Doyle, and our topic title is Strengthening New Client Relationships. There's some great advice that you're going to hear from Sean. Let me tell you about his expertise. He's been spending the last 30 plus years running a B2B sales and marketing consultancy, which helps executives of businesses grow and overcome sales and marketing barriers based on groundbreaking research and behavioral change. He also wrote a book called Shift, 19 Practical Business-Driven Ideas for an executive in charge of marketing, but not trained for the task. I read that book and there's some great ideas that I think you can get from that. Make sure you connect with Sean on LinkedIn and also visit his website. And also you can get his book on Amazon. And I put that link on the show notes as well. Sean's got some fantastic ideas. So make sure you share this with other people that are involved in business development within your organization. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence, Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my conversation with Sean Doyle. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our special guest today is Sean Doyle. Sean, thanks for joining me on the show today. Scott, it's been a day I've been looking forward to. This is great. Yeah, and thank you for doing this on-site with your client, consulting to them on marketing. It's exciting to see you in action here. And thanks for taking the time to be on our show. So, Sean, our topic title today is Strengthening New Client Relationships. And in talking with you before, it seems like there's an inflection point in that life cycle. When someone's new, what do we do with them? How do we grow that? Kind of give me some of the overarching concepts related to that from what you've seen with the companies that you work with. You know, the business development is such an important part, especially of successful law firms, professional services firms. And as we've worked with them, we've seen a couple things occur. One We've seen a lot of emphasis built around one-to-one selling. The attorney, as the star, gets in and closes that deal. And in that situation, there's an underdevelopment of what marketing can do to serve the attorneys and then how what we would call customer success can do how to serve them. And I think the aha moment to happen there is successful attorneys allow other people to help them. And that gives them the ability to scale beyond what they could individually do. The other aha moment, the second aspect of that is we spend an immense amount of time doing all the biz dev activities to come up to the point of closing the deal. And then when we're done, and this is the aha moment, when we're done, we get that new customer, that new engagement. Mm-hmm. It's like we turn it off. And customer success, one thing that's critical is to understand 80% of the people who are working with you are now looking back at their past behavior. Let's talk, let's, we'll break that down in a second. What do I mean by that? They're looking back at their past behavior and saying, did I make the right decision? So you probably would call that what? Remorse. Buyer's right? remorse. Buyer's right? remorse. Yeah, right. right. And we all know that colloquial term, but what we don't know is it's rooted in science. It's a, it's a real thing. So centricity is the process that we teach when we're teaching anybody how to improve their sales, their marketing, their customer success, 
processes organizationally to improve the ROI. Centricity is based on the behavioral science. It's called transtheoretical behavioral science. And it tells us, it informs us that you are going to look back at your old patterns of buying, meaning your previous buyer, the, the person you were buying your services from previously, or products. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Let's say, Scott, you're trying to get in the best shape of your life. Right. At some point, when you decide to do that, you're going to look back and go, you know, I really kind of liked going out and getting a steak and having a couple glasses of wine and not working out at the gym today. Yeah. You look back at past behaviors. You've been, you've been talking to my wife about this, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't supposed to tell you that. That's right. Yes, I know. I know. We have yeah. conspired on this one. But this pattern of looking back is normal. It's a natural behavior. And it occurs at three three places. So attorneys, the first, when they hear of you, the service that you provide, your expertise, the immediate moment they hear about you and they, they consider it and think about it and they go, is it worth the change of behavior? Notice I did not say, is this person skilled? Is this person talented? Are they the best in their field? I said, they're considering what the cost of changing behavior will be. That might be, I've got to break a long-term relationship with a, a friend who brought me up yeah. when the business was small and I needed better help than I could, than I could afford. And you helped me. Right. So it may not be worth the change because of that. It may not be worth the change because of geography or whatever. It doesn't matter what the systems are working with large companies. I've actually seen a large deal lost with the fortune 500 companies because the buyers said it was too hard to introduce a new vendor into their procurement process. Wow, that's interesting. Had nothing that's interesting. to do with the quality of the services. But because when we're selling services, we take that stuff personally. So we think, well, they said no because of me. No, there's a lot of other things. But the number one reason they look back, and the science informs us of this, 80% of the people are looking back at that moment. The next time... They look back. Let's say they've continued the dialogue. They're talking about working with you. Now they look at the proposal. This is another very natural time to look back and go, all right, before I do this, am I really willing to make this change? So it's a natural failure point. One thing that can occur and occurs often is we we push people towards proposals because we've got a new business goal. We've got a certain number of hours to sell. We've got a certain mm-hmm. target personally we want to hit. So we sometimes will force a deal to closing before it's really ready. And then it says this, the no that comes is because the person, again, it's not that your services were subpar. It was that they weren't willing to change their behavior. Right. Now. This is the big aha. Let's say you got these people over the hurdle. Now, there's something that was, that, and, and this is really critical. I want to say this clearly. There's something that occurred twice that made them willing to change their behavior, and now they're buying services from you. That's powerful. Made it That's, twice. Yeah. Yeah, right. They've twice come over this hurdle. Then we get them and they're a new, we've got a new client relationship. We've got an engagement. And guess what we do? We just go back to business as usual because we won. It's over. Yeah. And that's where the third time people come in, buyer's remorse, we call it colloquially. That's when they come in and look back and go, did I make the right decision? What if, Scott, what if you could identify the, the thing the value proposition 
that made them overcome those first two hurdles, become a new client? What if you identified that? Mm. And then after they were a client, you leaned into that again. What if you were able to overcome that? Because it got you through the first two hurdles. It could get you over the third hurdle. But very, very few people have I ever seen in my illustrious old career, because I've got no (laughs) hair and what's left is on my chin and it's gray. (laughs) I've never seen people do this. Why not identify why Scott made the change? Now, this works in HR. Let's say I'm recruiting somebody to come over to my firm and they made the change. Well, if you don't codify, if you don't memorialize in a CRM system or a marketing system of some sort, even, and okay, let's just go with files. If you don't write it down in a file, you're not going to remember why that person made the change to your firm. But imagine the other way. Let's imagine the other side. Let's imagine this positively. What's this look like done right? So let's say, Scott, you do buy from me. And I know the reason you bought from me is because I took you through and, and you saw this rational idea of more time. And here's a, here's a real story. Okay, I'm getting excited. I've just been like going on and on. Before I even tell you the real story. <laughs> well, let me press pause for a second, Sean, because you said some things here that I want to really highlight. I want to emphasize. And I think it's just uh, for the people listening, this very well may solve some of their frustration and how am I not getting the client's why are we getting them and why are they leaving? What's the churn? And you're right. It can relate to recruiting talent for any organization, mm. any type of B2B sales, whatever it is. And it's that life, well, I wouldn't call it a life cycle phase. It's a, it's a point in the life cycle of someone from when you're according to them. And then they said, yes, at that point, there is that buyer's remorse and it can happen where uh, and what did you say? It can happen at the very beginning of the process. Correct. They're just, it might not be worth the change. It can happen right, at the beginning the to consider, right? right yeah, yeah. Where it's a natural failure point. And I liked the way you identified that a failure point. That sounds to me like a term, like it's a thing. It's a natural failure point. During the proposal, this is what people do. And you're an expert on this. You've studied it. You've measured it. You've seen that this is where people will back out of the deal. And then when they're a new client, congratulations, here's the contract, and we'll be sending you an invoice in 30 days. And that's all the attention they get. Uh, So this is really interesting to me. And then what you said, what if we could identify the key variable that after they became a client, that was the reason why, and you lean into it again. So tell me about that. Tell Tell me what that means. And why that's so important. Most professional services firms, these are broad, but accurate. 75% of your business that you have this year is going to be with you next year. And about 25% of it's going to just have a natural evolution. It's going to flow. And that's in a healthy system. There's a good argument. It's another podcast another day of why you should have some customer churn, right? If you have no customer churn, it might be that you're not uh, charging enough, for example. (laughs) If you have no customer churn, there's a lot of reasons. It's another conversation. But if you've got 75% of your revenue coming back, why are you spending 100% of your sales and marketing money, new business development money, in the early stage stuff instead of retaining the 75%? There's just a logical yeah. reason to, to invest in this. So what's the story? The it's, example it's just not it, exciting, right? New it's not. It's exciting. not. Yeah, because I mean, I'm an adrenaline junkie, right? There's nothing much better than the day <laughs> you the see deal, the yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, right. it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so 
lawyers, don't get too excited. I'm not, I'm not calling you virtual assistants. I, I get the difference, but it's a really easy way to demonstrate. So once upon a time, I hired a virtual assistant and began the process of working with them. And I got a report card at the end of the month and got another report card at the end of the month and I fired them. Well, let's analyze why. What was happening was I made it through the hurdles, but the first two hurdles I made it over. What my need was had to do with time. I wanted more time. I wanted margin in my life. And I thought this was a solution. Now, what the virtual assistants were selling was we've got structure, we've got software, we're going to read your email, we're going to do this. and da, 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 da. So I was getting reports about their activities and their behaviors. You know what I never got? I never got a report about time. They never once told me, we have delivered 10 hours a week back to you. And isn't that great since that's what you bought? What they were focused on was all the stuff that they were doing. And this is natural for all of us. We focus on the things we do and we don't understand that that's not what the buyer was buying. Yeah. In law, you might want to deliver a, a report. If I hired you, to mitigate risk, then give me a risk mitigation report every month. Mm. Don't tell me how many hours you spent. I don't care. I never once asked you to save me money. I asked you to lower my risk. Why are you giving me a report about money? That's right. what you care about. I don't care. I wanted no risk. I didn't care what the virtual assistant was charging me. I wanted 10 hours a week. Let me ask you this. In your work as a consultant, have you worked with companies where you've tried to identify that key variable? Have you have you done that before? Well, 100%. And it's a hard thing to do because of what happens typically in the B2B space is the person who sells is not the person then who's maintaining. And in professional services, it's it's even more complicated. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's just go to manufacturing. Well, it's, it's more complicated because often the person who's selling is also the person delivering. And that's a bad combination as an aside. The easiest analogy is, Scott, I noticed your shoulder got ripped up when you were playing NCAA football for Alabama and you you ripped it out. And when you went to uh, the surgeon's office, you were greeted by the surgeon who then checked you in and gave you the, the Blue Cross Blue Shield paperwork. And then they walked you back to the room and did your uh, triage. And then they said, okay, let's go back to surgery, right? What would you do if that surgeon did that? I would think he had less credibility. Yeah. You would walk out. You would go, there is something (laughs) I would do that too. (laughs) Right? Experts should be removed. So when an expert is present the entire time and doing all the sales and doing all the selling, then it begins to bring credibility questions in. So that's a challenge in professional services. It's another conversation again for another day. What's happening though is when you're going through the process of sales, whether you're coming in as an expert and a new business development, larger firms have those roles separated, and then you're coming in as subject matter expert, or if you're representing yourself in the sales process, in the business development process, let's just call it sales. It's sales, y'all. Yeah, it's okay. Right, right. It's okay. So <laughs> we got to make it explicit yourself, now with the S word. We got to make it okay. Yeah, explicit. it's okay. It's, it's all right. Somebody has to sell. Selling is not right. manipulating. That's right. If you see selling is helping, then it's okay. It's a good word. Absolutely right. So if you somebody has got to be assigned to understand and write down why they bought instead of focusing on what they bought. And if the people who write down why they bought, then they can do a follow-up report. They can have a results meeting. 
And this is not, I'm not dreaming this up. If you've ever bumped across Ian Altman and Same Side Selling, he calls them results meetings. And his recommendation and his processes are to, at the closing table, even before the closing table, you sit down and say, Scott, if you buy this thing from me, what is it you're, you want? What are you buying, in essence? And then you write that down. And then you set up a results meeting in 30 days, 90 days, 180 days, whatever the that's up to you, whatever that cycle is. And then we sit back down and let's just say, you know, I sell sales and marketing improvement and more ROI for the executives of middle market firms that are rapidly growing in the, in the middle market space. So if Scott, if you're growing like that, I'm going to sit down with you in six months and say, let's talk about your growth. Cause that's what you hired me to do. Right, right. If I sit down with you and talk about, let's talk about your website and your sales tools and your outbound emails and your clicks and your conversions and all this marketing stuff. Who cares? You don't care. You wanted growth, mm. but those are the tools of my business. So I tend to talk about my tools. You're not interested in my tools. The surgeon does not come back out and say, well, Scott, let me tell you about the scalpel I use, the type of thread I use, the needles I use, the knives I use, the vacuums. Well, I don't know what surgeons use. <laughs> if he came out and said, let me tell you about all the tools, you would say, all I want to know is, is my shoulder back? Can I play the game again? But yet we all, whether it's services or manufacturing, we all tend to report on the tools, how we did it, what we did, the way we did it. And we think our clients are excited about that. That's not what they bought. Those are our tools of getting something done. So let so, me ask you, let me ask you this then. How do we find out why do they buy? Is that something that you recommend? We just ask our clients. This is a crazy, yeah. It's a it's the craziest technique ever. You're gonna have to write this down. Ask. <laughs> ask okay. <them. laughs> so have you would they give pushback in the real world of business development? How would we yeah. ask them this? And when should we ask them? Yeah, Scott, I appreciate you calling today and talking about, we've had a great conversation about your business growth goals, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the tools that we use, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We do technology, we do consulting, we have advisory services. Um, we help people with these things. If your goal, as I understood, was to take a $20 million top line revenue to $30 million in the next two years, how important is that if you don't achieve that, yeah. then you'd say oh, that's critical, right? And say, okay, that's great. I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> I just did what you were asking, right? It's just, I have to understand why you're hiring me. It's, it's shame on you if you're selling people stuff because they asked you for, in my business, if they came to me and said, you know, I need a website. I don't know if you need a website or not. Now I'll come talk to you. I'm interested in why you self-diagnosed. Let's go back to the surgeon. And if you walked into that surgeon's office and said, I was playing football and I think I tore this, the LCL, the MCL, the ACL, whatever the CLs are in your shoulder. And I'm going to need you to go in and stitch and remove and do this and that. And the surgeon said, all right, we'll schedule that for next week. <laughs> I hope you right. would walk out. Right, right. right? The surgeon's going to do something like this. They're going to say, oh, tell me about your shoulder. And tell me what you're doing and what, what do you want to get back? Do you want to be back to this level of utilization? Do you want to be able to reach over your arm, your head? Do you want to be able to lift weights? Tell me what level of mobility you're looking for. So, Sean, let me ask you this question. What, what are some of the pitfalls that people should watch out for as they're starting to implement these ideas? You know, things like asking our clients, having a results meeting, things like that. Uh, well, one, quit talking about yourself. 
<laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, just quit it. I'm not interested in you. You know, it's it's if uh, if we all uh, the first time we spent some time with the significant other, if all we did was talk about ourselves for an hour, yeah, we never would have had a second conversation. But when business, for some reason, we think that's what others want. Yeah, uh, right. So, what should we do instead? Yeah, ask them about them, what their goals are. And, you know, the old maxim in sales is 80% of the conversation should be led by the, the buyer. Yeah. Well, so what do you have to do to get there is the better question. Uh, well, I would have questions. You're an expert in your field. So let's just move to law. You know, Scott, I see you're rapidly growing and you're going over some business barriers uh, in your growth systems and your need for different legal counsel is changing. What do you think the risks are in, you know, what are the risk exposures that you mm -hmm. see? And then you answer with whatever you see. And then I say, well, that's interesting. Based on my expertise and, and experience, we see these additional three risks. Do you see those? I didn't give you free consulting. I didn't solve yeah. any problems. We just had a good conversation about your business, not my that's business. Great. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a time where you worked with an organization in how they weren't doing this before, how you helped them, mm. and how did that improve their situation? What were the results? And you don't have to mention the company's name, of course. Deal. Well, uh, anonymity. It's brilliant. The best result I have saw, I have saw was when I didn't go to English <laughs> class. I have seen, and the best result I've seen is when I uh, recently saw a 10-year stalled deal. Like these two entities knew each other for 10 years. The buyer needed what the seller did. The seller knew the buyer needed it, and it was totally stalled. Oh, wow. They did all the marketing stuff. They did all the sales stuff. They did presentations. They did on-site visits. They did, I mean, just everything, right? Showed their credibility, showed their brand awareness, uh, had great sales decks, sent good marketing tools, emails, blah, 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 blah. What worked was calling them and saying, could we sit down and talk about your biggest problems, your biggest needs? And when they got the other the buyers talking, it turned into a $10 million contract. Wow. The That's only great. difference was when they went to them and said, "We because they knew each other, right? Most people in B2B relationships know each other. Yeah. And I'm going to save everybody a million dollars collectively with this next sentence. Quit buying more awareness. Every time you talk to a marketer, an advertiser, they are trained to think about creating awareness. They are trained and, and it looks kind of sexy and it's beautiful and it's got design. 90% of B2B deals don't need more awareness. That's the wrong end of the sales cycle. Yeah. I already know you exist. And this is a great example of it. Everybody knew each other. You know, the first time we used this, this centricity model was in 2002. We helped a bank sell to a target account list. And they closed $380 million of work, wow. loans, deals, deposits in a period of four weeks. Everybody already knew each other. There was no need for awareness. The reason we got the deal was the three prior agencies all created more awareness, which was great. Hey, I knew of the bank before, and now I know of the bank. <laughs> so what? <laughs> so, and the banking, kind of like law, there's a lot of parity, mm -hmm. right? There's not a need. There's really nothing radically new right. in either category. So it's not, we've got a new bill, a new whistle, a new service. There might be some difference in service delivery, there might be some difference in pricing modeling now that you know I can get 
I can get my corporation done yeah. cheaper than I could have 10 years ago. But the, the real law is law. Banking's yeah, banking. right. A lot of parody. So well, Sean, awareness, stop spending money on awareness. That's my other that's, tip. That's a great point. I like that. So let me kind of ask you this. If somebody is listening to you and they want to make some changes mm-hmm. and we could bring it down into three steps, what would be three mm-hmm. action steps people can take to really get started implementing these ideas? Well, so I would say, gosh, can I narrow it to two? Can I be shorter? Let's try. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, one is have a framework. Quit approaching biz dev, sales and marketing uh, without a framework. And that framework has to be in centricity, the model we we follow. We, we didn't invent it. It understands a buyer's point of view. That's why it's called centricity. Everything's got to be about the buyer. It's not about you. It's about the buyer's needs. It's not about the way biz dev happens. It's not about what marketing does. It's not about what customer success does. It's not about the technology that supports all that. Yeah. If you focus on the buyer's needs at every step in the journey, and I don't care what, what pipeline report you have, just at every step, understand what is the buyer's need at this step in the journey. And there's different needs, right? So codify that. If you want a model for that, you can go to Fitzmartin, that's my website, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com and go to the free help section. It's, I think it's slash free help. It's cleverly named. And you can go there and download a model. It's, we'll we'll it's make that free. step number two. How's that sound? That's step number yeah. two. <laughs> okay, deal. And then so the, the thing I really want to emphasize today is an understanding that professional services and B2B as a whole, you're looking at a 75% broadly speaking, a 75% customer retention rate, reweight the budget of time, money, and put more of it into this customer success category. Customer success has to be part of what you do. And it's got to be a focused part. And if you're a service delivery provider, you're too busy doing what you're getting paid hourly to do. So assign it to somebody, somebody who's got to be thinking about customer success, and the number one way to help customers stay with you, because that's the, everybody knows the old cliche, it's the cheapest business you can get is your yeah. current business. That's right. Is it worth finding out why they bought? Let's say it's a customer that came on five years ago. Take the time, reach out to them. Why do you work with us? Why do you buy from us? And then deliver a, a report card. It's quarterly, it's annual, it's a telephone call based on what they want and quit delivering report cards based on what you do. Now, well, Sean, I do, you know, we do risk mitigation and that's important that we tell them what risk mitigation. Yeah, your invoice does that. Yeah. They don't need more communication around that. What they need to know is what did they prevent? What did they, what uh, actions did they not have to take? What else? Think about the power of, uh, well, we're going to lean into consumer advertising here. Think into the power of, Hey, that didn't happen to me. There's yeah. entire television cycles built around. At least I'm not that guy, right? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> so Sean, what if you just showed that? It's Sean, I, th- I think that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the uh, things that you're saying here, <laughs> there's two or three real nuggets that I know I need to work on, and there's probably about twelve more that you brought up. Tell us about the offerings. I've read your book, Shift, 19 Practical business-driven ideas for an executive in charge of marketing, but not trained for the task. I thought this is really helpful. We're going to put the link for this on the website, on our show notes. We're going to put the fitzmartin.com link on our show notes. What are some other things that you have that you do that you'd like for our listeners to know about? 
You know, I, I just think you've got to taste a model and there's 80,000 ad agency marketing sales kind of professional types out there. You've, you've experienced one. Uh, and if you've had a negative experience, spent the money, didn't get the ROI. I understand that. And, and use these tools and try to I mean, work with them. Help You don't have to hire me. I'm, I'm old enough. I just want to help more people than I'll ever be able to help. So, I mean, find these tools at the website, read the book and shift the way you're thinking about how sales and marketing can work. It's, it's really not that complicated. There is a repeatable pattern that every buyer goes through every time. And there's specific best practices that work at some points in that journey that don't work in others. The most notable being awareness, which we talked right. about. Quit creating awareness through the entire sales cycle. It doesn't work. Well, Sean, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Again, to everybody listening, we're going to put all of Sean's links in the show notes. And I'm sure we'll have you back on the show talking about some of the other things that we touched on today, because there's no end to the conversation, Sean. <laughs> it's, no I, I think it's a fascinating space you're in. I really appreciate the work you do. And you've got a great podcast. Thank you. I'm Thank honored you, to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.